Hello, 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 friends, old and new. Welcome to Le Vital Core Salon. I'm your host and salonier, Kara Snyder, and each episode, I'm here to introduce you to some pretty radically cool women who are not letting bullshit or burnout stop them. Today, I want you to meet Yana Blankenship. She is the founder and quite literally the captain at Captain Blankenship, which is a green beauty products business literally in my backyard here in the Catskills. Buckle up, everyone, or quite literally grab your life preservers, because Yana and I cover a lot of ground in this episode. We're going to talk about Yana using her nose to build a socially responsible and sustainable B Corp that started in her kitchen and literally has moved into Target and 300 stores across the country and across the world, really. We're going to talk about the difference in art curation versus creation, as well as Yana reclaiming her artistic confidence. And we're also going to learn how Yana has navigated the intersection of career, family, and honoring the different parts of herself. There's also a lot about resilience in this show. But before we dive in, I have two simple requests. One, please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And two... If you think of someone while you're listening to this episode and feel like they really should hear what you just heard, please share this episode with one person. If you're using the Apple Podcast app, which is the little purple app on an iPhone, for example, you can click the three little dots when you're listening to the show and it gives an option to share via email, via text. It's that easy. So please do consider helping get the word out about what Yana has created and what I'm creating here in the Vital Core Salon. It's so appreciated. Voila. Here's the conversation with Yana. Yana, welcome to the Vital Core Salon. Thank you. I'm so excited to be on. I'm so excited. This is your first podcast. Yeah, it it, it feels monumental and I'm just I'm thrilled. <laughs> Let's not go too crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so excited. <laughs> okay, so I want to get the listeners up to speed with who you are. And mm-hmm. you run a small women-run green beauty products company here in the Hudson Valley. Mm-hmm. How did all of that come to be? There's so many ways to tell a story. And I guess for me, it goes back to my childhood. Um, I grew up in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And I was that kid who was always making potions. Um, and it's funny, I have a daughter who's about to turn six, and I see the same inclination in her. <laughs> She's been making <laughs> making these crazy potions and trying to feed them to all of us. And it's been incredibly entertaining. <laughs> but I was that kid. I mean, and a lot of the time it was, you know, going into my yard and making potions with rose petals and pine needles and mint. Um, and that was the good side of it. Sometimes it had to do with mixing cleaning products in my house. <laughs> um, but, but the majority was, you know, I was always kind of steeped in the natural world and, you know, going out at just this time of year too with all, we had huge lilac bushes in our yard. And I was just like from that young age, just really, really interested in making potions. And, my mom was a fashion designer and when I was little, she traveled all over the world and in our house, she had this incredible mirrored vanity in her bathroom and it was always filled with really intriguing 
decadent perfume bottles and it was the eighties and it was the era of white linen and obsession and Madonna and Cher perfumes. And they don't make bottles like that anymore. Those bottles were so incredible. I mean, they were so beautiful. And so as a little potion maker, I was always looking at those bottles thinking, what's that? And she didn't care about them. She would go to couture shows, like come home with, you know, <laughs> bottles of perfume. She had so many of them. And of course, like, you know, you only really have one signature scent and hers was white linen. So she didn't care if I, you know, played with her Giorgio bottle. Um, so at kind of the tender age of actually like where my daughter is right now, like six, seven, my mom let me make my own signature scents by blending her perfumes. Stop and I still, it. Yeah, I know. It was like <laughs> kind of amazing, incredibly irresponsible. But, you know, I think at that time people just had no idea what was in those perfumes, you know, or like the consumer didn't. So I actually still have the first perfume that I ever made and it's in an old Giorgio bottle and it has this like little white label on it, like one of those like office labels. And I wrote in like my little handwriting sense of Hawaii. Stop <laughs> it. Yeah, I know. Like I was like what I imagined Hawaii was like. And honestly, it just smells like Giorgio. And it's crazy because this is like you know, 30 years ago. And I think if you buried that bottle and dug it up in like a thousand years, it would still smell as strong. So that kind of experience um, with me playing tiny chemist was like my entryway into perfumery, but it actually um, had a really big impact on me because mixing together all of those synthetic fragrances left me with a sensitivity to synthetic fragrance that I still have. So at that kind of tender age, Whenever I would smell a, a perfume or, you know, a laundry detergent, I'd get an instant headache. And no. I think, you know, in the 80s, yeah. And in the 80s, people weren't, you know, it was like everything was scented with synthetic fragrance. It was like, you know, kind of like a celebration of these cuckoo smells that aren't found in the natural world. And so at that age, I kind of turned my nose away from those and then started kind of embracing everything fragrance-free which, you know, is not essential oils or magic, you know, but it, there just wasn't the awareness of that then. So, so well, not if you of, weren't on the commune, right? Like, yeah, I feel totally, like there were certain totally, populations totally. of society that were digging into that really deep, but yeah. compared to the marketing campaign for, say, obsession or, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, any of those. I know. I know. And it's like you walk into a shopping mall and you were like bombarded with those smells. So, you know, it was like, it was kind of this like strange experience that changed the course of my whole life. And so, you know, through my teen years, like staying away from everything scented, when I'd smell someone's teen spirit, I'd want to vomit. You know, I had like a real visceral reaction to synthetic fragrances. I'd get a headache, I'd feel nauseous. So I kind of like fast forward, teenager, went to college, studied art history and fine arts, was like embracing my life as an artist and a curator. And then I, um, I was in Berkeley. I was living in Berkeley, California. And I think part of the reason that I moved to Berkeley was the Jasmine. I just fell. We went to visit one, um, one spring, a friend living out there and the smell of the Jasmine just like washed over everything. And I, I kind of feel like this, like I, it started awakening this like love of the sense of the natural world and living in the Bay area. It's just like the sense of eucalyptus citrus growing, the jasmine. It's just like, it's so immersive. 
Um, so we were living out there. And then one day I, um, I walked into a friend's store in Berkeley and I saw this like really intriguing silver compact of solid perfume. And it said Jasmine on it. And I was like, what is this? Um, and I opened it and I smelled it and I put some on my wrist. It smelled good. And didn't give you a headache or make you want to barf. Didn't give you a headache. Yeah. And it was Jasmine, blood orange and grapefruit, um, absolutes and essential oils. And it was beautiful, you know, like the whole, the whole package was so incredible. And so I smelled it, fell in love, asked my friend who owned the store, like, where did this come from? And she said, oh, Mandy Aftel made it. She is like an incredible natural perfumer and teacher, author, and she lives right around the corner. <laughs> and so she, Mandy lives in Berkeley and I ended up, you know, just becoming really intrigued, signing up for a class with her. And that was it. I just became so intrigued. And it was like this, you know, this kind of thing that had been dormant in me, you know, for like almost 20, no, a little less than 20 years just like came out again. And I had a background. I was an artist. I was a painter. And I just like, after kind of starting to learn about natural perfumery and essential oils, I realized that this was this incredibly rich palette of plant-based materials that I got to work with. And, um, yeah, it, it really, that's where the company started and scent is our, one of our first senses to develop in the womb. It's how a baby recognizes its mother. It's how a mother recognizes its child. It's how we, you know, I think don't realize it, but how we recognize the people we love, you know, it's, it's such, and I think if you were to ask most people, you know, which sense, you know, they would sacrifice first, they would say smell, but everything, you know, like food loses its pleasure without aroma. The people you love lose dimension if you can't smell their natural scent. And so I just, I became really obsessed and, and dove in and, you know, just that's kind of, that was the birth of the company was my entryway into essential oils and natural perfumes and everything grew out of there. Wow. Okay. So there is so much to unpack here. I know. I know. And I am definitely one of those people who would never give up my sense of smell. This may be too much information for you and anyone else listening, but I am, I am a smeller and I Mm -hmm. I have another friend um, who's also a quote unquote smeller. And we are the people that like, when we go in a shop, we like hit everything like bloodhounds mm-hmm. you know or old bookstores or things like oh, that yeah. and i know for me like being in my grandmother's house who just passed away it's funny mm-hmm. like i was there last week and it was wild because i feel like i just went around everywhere like i was up in yeah. the attic and down in the basement i was like i better oh. take this all in <laughs> and That's, it's such an yeah. immediacy right like it is it is it's so it's so immediate and i think you know, it's so tied. It's the most tied to memory. And I think people don't, people don't realize that. And what's crazy is like 50 years from now, you could smell something and it could awaken a memory from childhood, you know? And I I mean, actually like speaking to what you were just saying about your grandmother, I was at my dad's house last night going through his clothes and he had passed away in January. And it was like, I mean, it was, and they still smelled like him, right? Oh, it still smells like him, you know? And you just want to like, hold on to that. It makes like, you kind of want to vacuum seal stuff. I was, I remember it does. my it grandmother does. had one of those like seventies. It was kind of like a, a long sheet of Ziploc bags. And then you sort mm-hmm. of 
put food in and then like melted it shut. I don't know if you remember ah! that thing. Like the, it was sort of like, I don't know if it was called like a press and seal or something yeah. like that, but it kind of like yeah. vacuum packed things. And there was a part of me that's like, oh, before we just get rid of these, I know. I wish they came in like bigger bags so I could like stuff some weird stuff in and then like 10 years from now, or if I had kids, just open it up and be like, this is what Graham smelled like. I know. I know. But I mean, the crazy thing is like, you keep, you know, you keep one of those sweaters. It's, you might even not even have to vacuum seal it, you know, like scent really stays. That's true. I mean, hopefully not like Giorgio burning out the yeah, inside yeah, yeah, of our yeah, nostrils totally. and totally. doing God totally. knows what to the environment. But no, I know, I know, I know. But I feel like when it is so tied to like your family and memory, just even like the smallest sniff of it, you know, is like it's so important. I know it's actually funny. One of my best friends is um is going to give a talk at Harvard tonight, and she's leaving her baby for the first time, and he's um. I think he's seven months old and she was telling me that she was bringing one of his dirty onesies with her. Oh, and it's like, yeah, you know, like that is, it's primal. It really is primal. And like that, you know, the amount of comfort that can be given by smelling, you know, the smell of the people you love. I'm always bummed out when my husband travels and we've done a batch of laundry right before. And if, if we (laughs) forget, I always try to like whip something out of the laundry and I, I'll put it in bed next to me. So it sort of smells like he's there. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. And you know, it's these things that like you actually, you know, it is so primal, but we don't really think about it. You know, it's just like kind of automatic. It's like, oh yeah, that comforts me so much. Yes. Although I have to imagine you as a little kid walking around with I don't even know how many ounces of synthetic perfume on. (laughs) Were people like running for cover? No, because, you know, I think people were so desensitized to those smells. And I actually think in some ways it's like only gotten more ubiquitous and worse these days because like in the 80s, I don't think we had scented trash bags. I don't think so either. You know, it was like perfume was one thing and like high end products that had these like really, you know, crazy scents. But now it's like it's slipped into everything. You know, it's in scented trash bags. They sent public spaces and shopping malls with smells to make to try to entice people to eat food. You know, it's like it's crazy where it's come. And I think the amount of money that goes into it that people just don't know. I mean, it's like that same factory in New Jersey that makes the newest taste of potato chips also makes the newest scent of, of a perfume, you know? It's wild. Yes. And I have a brother in law who's a food scientist in New Jersey. So I feel like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Like we're totally on opposite ends of the spectrum some days. Mm-hmm. But it's fascinating. It's so like fascinating. the amount of products that are getting made and pumped out and the smells. And you're mm-hmm. so right about malls. I can't hack them at all. I always feel really headachy and a little bit weird whenever I'm in them. It's yeah. usually like I dash in for the one thing that I need to get and run right back out. I don't think yeah. I've browsed a mall in ages. No, I, haven't been, I haven't been in a mall. I can't even imagine. And it's like, it's almost, it's like a, a sensory attack on all levels, you know? It's like visually, it's like frenetic <laughs> it's, and crazy, like the lights and then the smells and the sound. You're just like, yeah, I can't, I, can't, I, can't do it. I can't do it. <laughs> too much. Yeah. I, I, I worry about the day that my kids are going to want me to take them to a mall. Like, I can't do it. 
Well, if, you, that's what if you hold out before. long enough, you could just drop them off. Like, meet me yeah, back here yeah, in, in two hours. True, true, <laughs> true. I mean, I'm really hoping it's I, like I see them, you know, just like growing. They've been they've grown up like steeped in what I do. So I'm really hoping that, you know, actually, especially my son is such a little nose. Like he loves he he's always like. Actually, it was, like, so sweet a couple of, like, a week ago. You know, it was, like, too early in the morning. And um, and he was trying to wake me up. And he was like, Mama, you smell like Mama. Aww. And it just saved my day. And he's always, like, if I'm, you know, I'm always, because, like, mix, you know, uh, working with essential oils is my passion. I'm always, like, you know, mixing things up um, for fun. And he's like, Mama. You smell so good. <laughs> and it just like it breaks my heart. But I'm really hoping I'm, you know, that that, that some of this is influencing them and maybe they're they're not going to want to go into a shopping mall and smell either. But who knows? <laughs> who knows? Who Kids knows? do the wildest things, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> like my form of rebellion was I'm going to go to college and eat broccoli and do yoga. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, well, my yeah. parents both smoked and like ate meat and well, potatoes. No, so I had the same experience. Like I grew up my I grew up like weaned on McDonald's and ketchup and drinking soda and like watching tons of TV and then I was a vegetarian for 20 years and like, you know, just totally went the opposite direction. So you're right, like who knows? My kids might be, you know, wearing like the newest Kardashian perfume and oh gosh. Okay. Let's hope not. Let's put that aside. Let's put that let's aside. Not, yeah, let's, yeah, I don't let, even want to think. Let's dispel I don't that. Yeah. Ugh. So it sounds. Oh, <laughs> totally. So it sounds like you were super into perfumery and potions as a kid. Mm-hmm. And then you got reawakened to it when you were in Berkeley. What happened in between? Sure. I mean, it's funny, like ever since I was a little kid, I said, and my parents, I I mean, I feel so grateful. Both of my parents really let me follow my passions and figure things out. And when I was a child, I was really interested in art. Um, And I was, you know, they, in high school, it was like, I was always in the art studio. I was always painting um, and taking photography classes and like really kind of engaging. And, um, and so when I went to college, I went to Cornell and, uh, you know, kind of took a while to try to figure out my path. But then I ended up getting um, one degree in art history and one in fine arts. And it was an incredible experience. And I kind of came out of college. I was working. I had studied Tibetan Buddhism in college. I worked as a tour guide at the Rubin Museum of Art in New York, which is an incredible place. Yes, and, it is. And really just kept. Yeah. And it was like right after the Rubin, it was right when the Rubin opened. So it was like a very, it was incredible. And so I was working as a tour guide there for a while. And I love, I, you know, when I was a kid, I was really shy. And then I kind of just, you know, things changed and I love public speaking. I love crafting tours and I love storytelling. And so it was like a really interesting time because, you know, I had my background in the arts and art history and then through the Rubin really, kind of became engaged in, in telling the stories of this, you know, the amazing artwork, um, in that institution. And so my husband, my boyfriend, but now husband and I, after being together for a year, ended up moving out to the Bay area and we ended up staying there for seven years. And, um, I, 
decided that I wanted to be a curator. So I went back and got a master's in curatorial practice. And I feel like that really, you know, kind of engaged me on so many different levels with my love of art history, my love of storytelling, you know, kind of working directly with artists. Um, it was, it was a really amazing program that I was in, but then that was kind of when actually what happened in that program, which was fascinating is, you know, I, I think ever since I was a little kid, I said I wanted to be an artist and I was following that. And then when I got into that program, I think just kind of the critical nature of being a curator, I felt it was like impossible for me to make my own art. I just felt so critical of it for the first time in my life. I think, you know, it was just like, I just, I couldn't make anything with my hands and I really missed that. You know, I just like everything I try to make, I'd like, you know, I doubt it. And, um, and so it was, it's just interesting how things happen. Uh, that had to be a kind painful of period of your life. Like this thing that you've loved painful. for so long. And then you're, yeah. it's, it's not even like writer's block. It's, it just sounds like you seized up in some way. I, I totally, I totally seized up. And I think part of it too was like, you know, until then I was like following all these different paths and this kind of felt like, oh, like, okay. And everyone in the, pro it was a very small program. Everyone was like so determined with like, oh, I'm going to be a curator. And so I was like, okay, I'm, I'm doing this, but like, where's my own art practice? And that, you know, something that I always thought would be like a big part of my life. So it was like a very terrifying moment. And I actually like, I think it was the first, it was like, I was right about to give my thesis defense and I broke out my lips swelled up and I broke out in hives all over and I'd oh. never anything like that happened. And so it was just like, you know, that I feel like that was the first clue of like, what the hell is going on? And it actually, so I had, so this was interesting because I thought I was like, I must be allergic to something. And I kind of just started like, this was before I discovered natural perfumery, but I was like, what am I using on my body? What am I like, what am I eating? I, what am I, I exposed I, I to? Took, yeah. It was the first time I took like serious allergy tests. Like all they showed was that I was allergic to dust mites like everyone else. Yep. And then I started reading, you know, I was, I was buying my beauty products at Whole Foods at that point, but I was like, what is it something in these products? And I remember it was like, I thought that it was the chapstick I was using. Um, and I looked at the ingredients on it and like, certainly there probably what there was like synthetic fragrance in it. But at that time I just like, didn't even, you know, it was like so minimal, you know, yeah. it was probably like so below the line, but there was beeswax in it. And I was like, Oh, I must be allergic to beeswax. Um, so I stopped using it and then, you know, eventually it kind of, it went away. But I think that was like my first experience really dialing into ingredient lists on products and realizing like, hold on, this is, this should be a really simple product. Why are there so many ingredients in here? And what are they? Well, especially when you're trying to analyze and suss out the enormous list of things that we are just exposed to in our environment, oh, the yeah. food we're eating, the water we're yeah. drinking, the products we're putting on our skin, the cleaning stuff in our kitchen. It can be crazy making. I mean, I've done elimination diets with clients in the past. Yeah. And even though they had our sessions as a space to kind of just come let it all out and all the frustrations and, and everything else, it really, really can be disruptive for people. And it's an exhausting search some days. It is. It is. And, you know, and it's crazy when you're like kind of sailing along and then you hit something like that. And it's just like, 
you know, you look at your everything in your life so differently. So that was, I feel like that was a pivotal moment that, you know, sometimes I don't think about so much, but I think that that, you know, soon after that was when I, you know, discovered that beautiful natural perfume and kind of on the side started studying natural perfumery. And for me, that was like my entryway back into art. And, um, I've always thought of it as an art practice. It's this incredibly rich and sumptuous palette of plant-based ingredients I get to work with. Um, and, you know, and it was also at a time where like, I couldn't trust, you know, I felt so critical of any visual art I was producing. It was really incredible to be making natural perfumes, which then turned into making hand bombs, lip bombs, bath salts, you know, hair care products. And it was always like, oh, is there something I'm missing in my life? Or, you know, a friend would be like, oh, hey, can you, you know, I haven't been able to find a dry shampoo. I like, can you make one? And it was always with, you know, kind of like a limited palette of like the best organic plant-based ingredients and essential, like these very like lush experiential essential oil-based scents that weren't like, you know, your lavender or vanilla or patchouli that you would find at the natural food store. Um, And so for me, that was like, it was this incredible practice And I got to, you know, be working with my hands again and making art, but they were kind of instantly valuable to people. You know, it was like, I couldn't be critical of them because you just give it to a friend and they're like, I love this. And so it was this incredible kind of way of getting my confidence back um, when it came to making art, you know, and it's like the logo, the logo came from my hand, all of the packaging that's come out of it initially was all hand drawn. And now there's scanned watercolors of mine on there. So it's, you know, it's been, been a really empowering experience, but that's kind of like it grew, it really grew out of when I was in grad school, like this kind of critical time of like trying to find, find myself. And, um, it wasn't, I never dreamed of, uh, of running a business, you know, this wasn't, no, no. But I actually, you know, what's interesting is that my mom, my mom is incredibly creative as well. And, you know, I grew up, she was a fashion designer. She made I was these incredibly wild sweaters and um, uh, hand dyed silks and like really, really unique pieces. And so I grew up like playing in her sweaters and, you know, just like kind of steeped in her practice. And so you know, and I don't think she ever thought she would start a business either. So I kind of had this model, but, and, and actually like one of my best friends when I was in San Francisco, um, well, actually my best friend who I've known her since I was, I was in my mom's belly. We're, we're six months apart and our parents were friends, but she started a business too at the same time. And so it was kind of like, okay, like this is possible. And I think, you know, I, I was starting to make things that, people loved and were of use. And actually my friend wanted to start carrying them at her store that she'd started. And I was like, I guess the way that you do this is start a business. And I think that that actually was really amazing. Cause I think, you know, if you, if you know what it's like to run a business, if you think too much about it, I, I mean, I probably wouldn't have started a business, you know, but kind of this like, okay, I feel like I'm making things that are of use to people that people love, like, you know, let's take it somewhere. So, I mean, it was like in a very backwards way that I started a business, but I feel like in the end it was actually pretty beneficial to the company. Well, it sounds like it started in a really organic way and in a way that allowed you 
to not assume all the pressure all at once. Like if I'm, if I'm hearing your story correctly, like I'm picturing like friends are coming by, they're like, yeah, I just can't find this thing. Think it's something you can make. And you had the time to kind of play with it. It wasn't like a client was demanding 10 of them to be delivered in 48 hours. And so you got to kind of learn the craft and also hear people's needs. And then I'm sure the feedback you got from friends and family initially was also like, this is right on, or this was, I like it, but I would like this better. You probably got a lot more feedback you'd get from, say, like a focus group or something like that. Totally, totally. And like without the pressure, you know, there was no pressure. And I was just making things in small batches in my kitchen. And, you know, I'm always someone who likes a challenge. So it was really fun, you know, to have that kind of organic growth where, and like, yeah, that, that honest feedback from family and friends, the, that amazing testing group of people, you know, where it's like you give them something, they automatically use it. They tell you their opinion. Frankly, I got to play with things and, you know, it was a crazy, it was actually funny. I got a puppy at the same time. <laughs> And um, I have a Siberian Husky, and it's crazy. Dog's sense of smell it, there is 300 times more powerful than our own. And uh, and so I always wondered, like, I got my my dog, Vuka, and it was, like, right at that time where, like, my house was just, like, filled. You know, it was, like, all of – I swear, like, I had Cause a – Because you're wood- still in the Bay Area at this point, right? Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm still in the Bay Area, and I, like, I had a, a wooden table, and I was always mixing perfumes and products on it, and, you know, you spill things, and I'm, like, the table just smelled so strongly – and I always thought, like, what, what does the dog think is happening? You know, like, what does she think is happening in this house? She's like, are you, what are you doing here, crazy person? And what's interesting, I, like, later learned about dogs is, like, she probably didn't even care because none of those scents interest her. You know, like, she wants to smell pee and poop and, like, death, you know? Like, that's what they're interested in. She's like, lavender schmavender. Like, I don't care about that. <laughs> I'm just picturing this small apartment with like all these like bottles of like essential oil and stuff to mix things and then like Siberian husky fur like floating. Pretty much, yeah. Pretty much. Pretty much. That was it. Wow. So when did you figure out it was a business? Like was there a particular moment where you're like, I guess I have to move in this direction, even though I have what, three degrees at this point in art? Yeah. Yeah, I know. And like, and it was, I really, um, you know, I'm so grateful to my family for supporting me through this because, you know, it was, it was like a cuckoo pants idea. You know, it's like, I've gotten all these degrees and I actually, I was working as a curator at an amazing contemporary art institute in San Francisco. I got to be the assistant curator for the Istanbul Biennial. Like everything was like lining up for me, you know, it was like, and, and it was exciting. And then this just kind of took over. And my my husband, Levi, and I are both from the East Coast. We, but we met in upstate New York at school. And um, there was like this moment where we both really wanted to start a family. Our families were on the East Coast. And he had the opportunity with his work. Um, he's been in alternative energy for over the past decade and he had the opportunity to take a job on the East Coast. And, you know, we... It just felt right at that point. It was like, and I also felt like my career was just like, it was kind of with, when you're a curator, it's like you have to drop everything. And it, it was taking a toll on me. And especially with this, you know, kind of my passion on the side. And I, I'm someone when I get into something, 
like, I don't get, I don't put it on pause or give it up. You know, I was still like building this on the side and it was kind of through word of mouth selling on my website. And then also, you know, at a handful of friends stores. And so we decided to shake things up and we ended up moving to the East coast. Um, and we decided on the Hudson river Valley and my favorite institution in the country is the Dia beacon. Ah, yeah. And so when we moved here, I was like, Oh, I'm going to apply for a job at Dia. Um, that's kind of my dream. And I did, I found like the most amazing job there to apply for as an education curator. And I remember going to the interview and the woman who interviewed me is now one of my really good friends. And, you know, we were talking and we had a great interview. And then she was like, what do you, what, what do you smell like? And I was like, Oh, it was like, you know, this perfume that I made and I shared it with her. And she was like, that's incredible. You know, it's like incredible that you're doing this. And, and then, you know, that was my first, the first round of the interviews. And then like a week later I found out I was pregnant and, you know, it was this moment where I was like, can I do all of this? you know, can I, can I take this job? Which like, I know what it, I know what they needed, you know, which is like all hands on deck. Can I do this? Can I have a child? Can I run a business? Like it was a real, like, take your temperature. Like, what do you want your life to look like for the next, uh, you know, forever, like for the next couple of years. And, um, and I realized, you know, I just want to, I want to raise a family and I'm really passionate about what I'm doing at Captain Blankenship. And so that was 2012 and that was it. Um, I ended up, you know, not going back for the second round of interviews. The woman who I interviewed with is now a good friend and like, she's doing something else now too. And, you know, it was just like, that was kind of a real crossroads for me. Um, and then my daughter Mila was born a year later, the business. And that was like the business feel like when I decided to put my energy into it fully as that, you know, raising a family too. It's like, yeah, kind of, I was going to say, let's, yeah. let's talk about what fully means. Yeah. Yeah. But like as much as I could, you know, I like turned my focus there. Um, that's when it really started growing and, you know, I'm so grateful. It's, I've learned, I mean, t- this year I started the company in 2009 in California. And so it's 10 years this year. And I, it's like, I cannot believe what's happened. I mean, it was like beyond my wildest dreams what's happened. And I mean, I had those inclinations as a child, but in no way did I know that this was how it was going to manifest. Got it. Yeah. And it's been amazing. Like I, I feel so grateful. I still love what I'm doing. I'm learning so much from it. I just wrote a book that's coming out this summer and, you know, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's kind of, that's the story, you know, it's, it's, um, it's incredible to kind of, you know, you follow the steps and you trust your intuition and it takes you wild places. Absolutely. Yana, can we go back to the moment where you find out you're pregnant, you've Mm -hmm. had this job interview, I sort of picture you in this interview process like you're talking about the job and you're excited and then when the woman asks what is that scent you're wearing I just picture your volume probably went up to 11 in terms of excitement you know I mean that's that's me to a T my husband is always (laughs) talking about he's like okay hold on you're more excited about this than I've seen you excited about you know it's like I I can't help it it's like infectious when I get excited and like I'm just I'm so passionate about these ingredients plant-based beauty, you know, education, like that's really, 
That's really what I love. And it had to have shown in that moment. But then Mm -hmm. at the same time, I'm sure you're a woman who's like, I got to get a job. I got to figure this out. I just moved. Like, I've, this has been my whole career. I've been on track to be a a curator and I'm, I've been getting it. What did it feel like for you? And I guess how, if you remember, did you unpack that decision? Because I know yeah. listeners, and even myself included, you know, to some degree resonate with what you're talking about, about, whoa, I've, yeah. I've got, it's time to pivot the ship. I'm being pulled in this other direction. Yeah. And actually, to be honest, I left out something, which was when I decided to not go back for the second interview, I was like, oh, wait, you know. They were like, oh, well, we're, you know, we're also hiring tour guides. And I was like, okay, you know, and I, I loved with my experience as a curator when I worked at also working at the Rubin, like I love giving tours. I love talking about artwork. And this was like, this is my favorite institution. You know, I'm so inspired by this place. And so, and like for the next, after that point, until my daughter was born for that next like eight months, I actually was a tour guide there and, um, and I gave tours for children and adults and it was like really satisfying. And this is like part of my personality. I was like, Oh yeah, I can, I can do it all. I can do all these things. And then like, as you know, I was approaching, actually it was like after, you know, I kind of winded down when my daughter was born and then I tried to give it to a few tours after that. And I was like, you know, I couldn't not listen to my body, which was telling me like, this is too much. Like, like what are you slow down? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, what are you do? You know? And it was like juggling. I was trying to like fill all these parts of myself. And then it was like, I, you know, I just had to listen to my body and it was like, you got to take care of you. You got to take care of you. And you also have to take care of your family. And you know, this business, it was like, and I, I feel really lucky that there really was Um, and there's still like to a degree still is like, there was a really organic growth with the business. So it was like when my daughter, right before my daughter Mila was born, like urban outfitters contacted me. And then, oh my gosh, after she was born, we did our first birch box run. Um, which was, I like, you know, to people who think you need, you know, it's like when you do these things, like you're all set up and like you have a manufacturer and like, Oh, you know, we could do that. Uh, 8,000 samples of something like no problem. You know, you like, you have to be really <laughs> like, I was filling those samples at my kitchen table with every member of my family who could join while breastfeeding my daughter. Like <laughs> it was, it was incredibly messy, but like you can pull it off, you know? And so that like, I think also like I strongly believe in trusting your intuition and I feel like, you know, sometimes I go, I'm just like trying to take on too much. And then the way that things line up, it's like, you have to listen to it, you know, physically, like spiritually, like it just appeared, it just appeared. And so, you know, I feel like all these opportunities for the company were happening right around the, the uh, birth of my daughter. And I was like, okay, I'm in, I'm in universe. Like, But I mean, I still, you know, what's been amazing, I think that I realized as like, you know, this company has grown is that it really, for me, it is an art practice and like, I am feeling that need. And I, it's also made me, you know, like as I've gotten more excited and confident about everything, like I am starting to, to paint again. And I, it's actually been amazing. My daughter is an incredible artist, like visionary, visionary, I would say. (laughs) I mean, I think every parent is like, thinks their kid 
you know, cuckoo pants talented, but, but seeing her create art has made me start drawing more and, you know, just kind of engaging the visual, um, again. So, you know, I just like, I feel lucky that I, that I listened to all the cues and, and, and took this path. Wow. I'm glad you did too, because you make beautifully packaged and wonderfully smelling products. Thank you. And I think what people may not be able to see about those products, I want to talk about as well. Mm -hmm. But I I first want to circle back to something you said about taking on too much and then having to dial it back. Mm -hmm. Because this is a show, one, you are speaking to a recovering workaholic and mm-hmm. I, I would say recovering type a woman. Like I, mm-hmm. I can keep those competitive and like high stress tendencies under control most of the time these days, but it's a, it's a work in process for me. And I know there's a whole lot of listeners that easily and regularly find themselves in a state of overwhelm or really trying to like overachieve. And it sounds like what you described, like you may not fit that mold, but that point in your life did. Mm -hmm. What helps you navigate that now? Is that still a tendency for you? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it is. It is. And you know, I, I think I've just, now I have two small children. Now the business has grown. I mean, we launched our sailor line and all target like in, 1800 target stores last year, you know, it was just like things went, yeah, it really, it grew in an incredible way that I wasn't expecting. And I still do have that tendency, but I've tried, you know, I I get excited. I want to say yes about things. And I've started (laughs) to realize like, you got to pause, you know, and you got to take your temperature and listen to things. And, you know, I, um, it's really hard because, I, you know, I want to say yes to everything, but actually, you know, it was like, it was really exciting for me to write a book last year because it kind of reconnected me with the spirit of the company when I started it, like why I got into it, you know, and an opportunity, you know, I really wanted to write something that was like very engaging and that told a lot of stories. There are a lot of anecdotes in there that people can hold on to. And I feel like that kind of, after the company has like grown in such crazy ways, it kind of reconnected me with my passion again in a really immediate way. And so I've kind of been trying to listen to that. Um, and, and I also like, I have the tendency when I take on too much to get sick, you know, in some way, like physically sick in some way. Um, and so I've just, you know, as you get older, like there's children to take care of last year. I lost, I I lost my stepmother last year and I lost my dad this year. I'm so sorry for your losses. Oh, thank you. Um, But it was, you know, it was like a very depleting, like I'm someone who tries to like take care of everyone and hold it all together. And I think, you know, just kind of things came crashing down on me this year. The like, if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of anyone, you know? And so I'm kind of just returning to that mantra um, daily. Uh, But yeah, it's, you know, as a person who tends to take on too much, you know, it, there, that tendency is always there, but it's like, it's really trying to, you know, to check it um, and not, not let myself get to that point. Absolutely. And the, the level of caretaking that you're mm-hmm. touching on, mm-hmm. I mean, there's no words to describe. I, 
No. I lost my dad in my 20s and it was oh, a very so sorry. Thank you. But it was a it was a very short wildly unpredictable stint with cancer. And I remember mm-hmm. coming out of like that month or so and just wanting to sleep and not mm-hmm. not from mm-hmm. just like the sadness and depression, but also just like oh my god. Yeah. Like life was moving 10,000 miles an hour and yeah. I am no comet. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I know. No, I, I mean, I really, last year, I depleted myself in a way I've never experienced before. And it was like in the moment, you know, I was like, oh, I can, I'm doing, I was doing it all because it's, so, you know, you, you have, have to. to. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's the people you love, you're taking care of them. Like, this is your time with them. And it was actually after my dad's memorial in the beginning of February that, like, what you're talking, like, I just crashed in a way I've never crashed in my life before. And, you know, and then it was like, I feel like actually in like the past two weeks, I feel like I'm emerging from underneath a rock and, you know, I just like, I couldn't operate in the same way for a couple months. And I feel like I'm still just like, I kind of shakily, you know, getting back on my feet again, but it definitely, you know, I don't, I don't want to go there again. <laughs> I mean, I probably will be, you know, it's like life faces us with, you know, these unpredictable things. And, you know, these are sadly, we all, you know, have to go through these times in our lives, but we do, you know, I just, yeah, we do, but it's, yeah. it sounds like you're learning from this as well. So much, like, like you're so seeing much. your natural tendency to take on too much and then have to slough it off in a yeah. way. And that's, yeah. that's my jam as well. Like yeah. I get to a point and then sometimes I have, I literally call them sloughing periods where I'm like, mm-hmm. I love that. Okay. It's like dead skin cells. I know. Right. Like yeah. you just have to, you have to get rid of that layer. Cause sometimes mm-hmm. like you can't get to who you are underneath that layer. You can't hear your intuition. Like everything just yeah. gets staticky cause mm-hmm. you're spread too thin. Yeah. What are some of the lessons you've learned? You know, I I think it really, and I, and I think about how my parents supported me. My dad was always, you know, even though he might not have understood totally like what I was doing, you know, like how I got there, he was always so supportive of me and my, and what I was passionate about. And I think, you know, all of these lessons have kind of taught me like where I want to put my energy. And I think, you know, the things that, you know, that aren't important, like the ego, the bullshit, you know, just not, not letting my energy go there, you know, and just like really trying to channel it into the things I feel passionate about, into being present with my children and to not like, you know, I, I, I think actually, you know, I just like, I don't check social media in the same way I used to, like, I don't get engaged in those things. I don't kind of fall into that space as much. Like, I'm just really trying to, to take care of myself, to take care of my family, to pour my positive energy into the business and be, you know, incredibly discerning. I think I always say like having children too, it was like, you know, everything, the time spent apart from them, you know, it's like, I, I don't have the time to waste anymore. It's like, I just, I need to be as efficient. I need to be like fiercely protective of my time. I'm like a mama lion, you know? And it's like, if I'm doing this, like I'm doing it because I love it. So I feel like it really has kind of been this like lightning bolt path. You know, it's like, I want to, I want to be engaged. I want to be educating. I want to, you know, I want to feel like this time is well spent um, in all ways. And I don't want to, 
I don't want to be checking my phone when I'm drawing with my daughter, you know, it's like, I want to be present. So, you know, it's kind of meant that, uh, you know, I haven't, it's like, I haven't been as active, um, in some ways, but I feel like the time that's spent is really meaningful. Do you think that's a result of just where you are right now and the loss and kind of needing to pull back? Or do you think that's something that is just a result of having children? And do you think it's something that will stay with you? I'm hoping it stays with me. I mean, I feel like it's a result of all these things. And I also think it's a result of, you know, 10 years of running a business and, you know, you learn a few things, right? Yeah. You learn the hard way. Yeah. And I remember that there were times where it was like, you know, it was just frantic and like the amount of work and the, you know, staying up all night working on things. And like, I just, not there anymore, you know? And I feel like actually like writing a book, everyone's like how I wrote a book last year, right after my stepmother passed away, like while my dad was getting more and more ill. And in all honesty, like writing the book was effortless. It was so fun. It was a sanctuary that I got to pour my energy and research and passion into. And like, it was so incredibly creative. And I think it's just made me realize like, some, you know, the things that I love that I'm passionate about that like feel right intuitively, like it's not hard, you know, and it's like, it's really satisfying. And there are other parts of running a business that like, aren't, you know, it's like, I don't have, I didn't go to business school. Like I've kind of learned, you know, I've learned everything by doing and like, I've made every mistake possible. And you live to tell about it. And I live to tell about it. And I'm always happy to share like all the mistakes I've, you know, it's like, if this can help anyone else, you know, I'm so happy to share it. Like nothing is lost. None of it was a failure. Like, you know, I've learned so much from it, but it's kind of made me, I think all of that experience, like wearing every hat has made me realize like, I don't want to wear every hat anymore. And like, it's just not, (laughs) it's not sustainable. You know, it's not sustainable when like I decided to have children and they, like, this is such a tender, t- you know, it's always a tender time, but like, they're, they're three and almost six. And like, it's, you know, I just want to, I want to have that time to be present with them and to have fun and to play and like, be myself. And like, you know, it's no one, it's so hard to balance everything in your life. And I just feel like I decided to do that, to create this company and, you know, it's gone places I thought it would never go. And I know where my strengths and my skills are. And I think so much of it is, you know, now it's just like, okay, I need the right people on board to help me. You know, it's like, so I I think that's where I am. And I I, I really hope that this is more of a, you know, going to be my MO going on and going forward and, you know, that I don't kind of drift back into that kind of fight or flight mode because I just don't, it's not where I want to be. I get it. I get it. Mm-hmm. And I I want to see if we can make this experiential for some of the listeners. And this mm-hmm. may be a, a question that you may have an answer for, you may not. Mm-hmm. So, some people never think about this because it's so automatic for them. Sure. But you've mentioned taking your own temperature. You've mentioned, you know, deciding where you want to put your energy. Mm-hmm. What are some of the habits or practices or rituals. I saw that word on your website and it just mm-hmm. like delighted me so much. 
Mm-hmm. But what does that look like for you? So if, if women are listening or like, well, how mm-hmm. do I get in touch with that part of myself? Because, you know, we can't just dial it on the phone or send it a text. Oh, totally, totally, totally. Yeah, you know, I, I think everyone is different, um, you know, with with getting to that place. But I have to say for me, and like something that I haven't touched on so much um, is that right now I'm sitting in my living room looking out of my yard. I, we live in a beautiful, in a house that I love looking out on a river in the mountains. And the reason that I live here, cause I love, I love where I live. I love being outside. I love hiking. I love connecting with the natural world. And that is, you know, I haven't talked about it so far, but that is such a, it's, it inspires everything that I do. It's the inspiration for all my products. Um, and it's how I grew up every summer, Um, I would go to Maine and my family's been going to this little town there for the past 120 years. And I grew up getting to spend the summer not wearing shoes, running barefoot through the woods, swimming in the ice cold Atlantic, steeped, steeped in like the briny smells, living with the tides and stars. Like that was that it was huge for me. Um, you know, I mentioned I was like tiny chemist playing with all the ingredients, but like that, that kind of combined with, you know, being, being outside and steeped in every way in the natural world. And so that like throughout my life, um, has been huge. When I was in California, it was hiking, um, all the time. And actually my first, when we first moved to this area and I got pregnant, um, and it was just so new to me. We, we initially moved to the town of Accord, which, you know, from the middle of San Francisco to Accord, to Accord. And I was like, where am I, you know, and like, we were <laughs> like so remote and I kind of gained my bearings through hiking, um, in the Shawangunk mountains. And that for me is like going hiking with my dog, um, it's everything for me. And it's actually, I mean, it's kind of wild. I, um, I have a favorite spot, um, in Minnewaska state park called the Peters kill. And I've gone there ever since we bought our house five years ago. Like that's been my spot. I go swimming there in the summer. I walk there all year round. Like I take walks there with my children, It's my favorite. And I didn't realize that we ended up moving my dad up here at the end of last year. And, um, and then he passed away and he would have loved, he was like so much of my inspiration. I mean, he grew up going to Maine. We had a house in New Hampshire growing up. I mean, he, we would take six mile long walks, you know, it was like such a big oh. childhood. And, uh, and I, and I thought, you know, we moved him here in December and he ended up passing away in January. And I thought that I was going to get to take, you know, I mean, he couldn't walk, but I was like, I'm going to get to show him all these places that I love. I mean, he'd visited us, but he'd never, you know, he never lived here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then after he passed away, I realized that the place that I've gone my whole, you know, for five years is like, and it's where I've, I went, my children swim there. Like I walked there when I was pregnant with my son. It's the Peter's kill. And my dad's name was Peter. Oh, and, you know, and it's, I'm going to spread some of his ashes there on what would have been his 70th birthday. We won't tell but, anyone, you know, right? Listeners. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you know, I just like, I feel like for me, nature is like when I, it's where I have, where I feel the most connected, where I have my best ideas, where those kind of revelations come to me. It's when I am walking and I am in present and I just can kind of let go and listen. And that's, I mean, for me, that is, that's where I get my bearings. That's where I take my temperature. I mean, it's also, I've been trying to kind of have 
at times in my life I've had like, you know, meditation practices that are daily and with kids it kind of got, I wasn't in that space for a while, but now I'm trying to do that again. So, I mean, for me, I, I would say, you know, just connection with nature, like time to explore and, and then meditation. But I, yeah, I mean, it's, I think, you know, it's only those kind of coincidences that you can kind of, you know, kind of put together the puzzle pieces. I think when you really let yourself be open, you know, and you just, you let go of your expectations, which can be really hard. There's the Buddhist in you. (laughs) I mean, it's no, like, I, you know, I, I don't think any of it is, um, well, you know, wasn't for a reason. And I actually, I, before I went to college, I, I spent six months traveling and I went to China and Tibet and Thailand and Vietnam. And then going to Tibet was a life changing experience for me. And I think, you know, it's definitely, there is, I, there is a Buddhist in me. And actually, I mean, it's the philosophy that I feel most aligned with. I feel you on that. And I'm, I'm such a novice in that world. And so much of it just comes from book learning and just mm-hmm. through practicing meditation. But it is so appealing, like just, it is so rich with life skills. Like we, mm-hmm. we spend so much time working out our bodies, right? And yeah. then so little time working out our minds. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like meditation in Buddhism feels like such a way in. Like I heard a, a podcast with Matthew Ricard mm-hmm. recently and just, you know, him sort of talking about, like, what happens when you're on the other side of, say, 40 or 60,000 hours of meditation. Mm-hmm. And, like, what that does. And that, that com- compassion can be learned. And it it's like building a muscle in a lot of ways. So fascinating. So it's so fascinating. And I think something, too, is, like, we're always kind of looking especially in this age for like the app, the thing that's going to, you know, that's going to make it all okay. That's going to like, you know, we're going to figure things out when, you know, meditation, it's like these things, you can tap into them anytime. It's free, you know, yeah. it's all there. It's <laughs> you like, don't need you don't any of the gear. <laughs> no, but I think that's, that's a hard thing is like everyone wants you to look and like, certainly I run a company and I sell things, but you know, I wrote this book that has like, 45 DIY recipes using everyday ingredients or like a handful of things that you might need to purchase that you can use in multiple things. And it's like, you don't, you know, I just, you don't need all of those things. You know, it's like, it's just keeping it simple and keeping and just trying to, you know, to let those rituals be a part of your life, to return to them, to know that, you know, there's net, it's never going to be perfect where it's always the perfect imperfect that we're living in. And it's just, but it's just giving yourself that time that I think people, you know, people fill their lives with so many other things, but that, that, you know, that muscle needs to be exercised, that it's so important. We have so much to teach ourselves, you know? Yes. And so little time to do it in. Yeah. Yeah. Like when I look at like all, like just, I am a junkie for reading. So there Mm -hmm. are stacks of books all over my house that are Mm -hmm. waiting for me to catch up Mm -hmm. to. And, you know, I, I look sometimes and I have to remind myself, you're not going to be able to read everything that you want to read. You're not going to be able to learn everything that you want to learn in this one lifetime. So like, 
embrace being a rubber soul and you'll have another chance at it. <laughs> yeah. And I think too, you know, I feel that same way about books and um, I have, I have some <laughs> stacks of books too. And sometimes it's just like, sometimes you start a book and you read something that sticks with you. You know, it could be a sentence. It's like, you know, who knows? It's, we're getting fed in so many ways. We are, but I've had to manage being overfed in that way. And I've decided, because yeah. I'm a completist, like I mm-hmm. will usually okay. read a book from front Start. to back, like if uh. I've, if I've committed to taking it off the shelf, mm-hmm. but I decided probably around the time of my birthday this year, because I looked and there were just books everywhere and people gifted me books and there's more books and I'm constantly loading things on my iPad. Mm-hmm. And I finally decided, I was like, I'm 42 years old. If I get 42 pages into a book and I am just not super excited about it and it is not a hell yeah, it is mm-hmm. okay to let it go. Like, and just give yeah. it to someone else. Like, if I can't mm-hmm. bear to look at it unread on the shelf, like, just let someone else enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's actually been, I feel like I've been doing, I love doing that. It's like someone will be talking about something and I'm like, I have the book for you, you know? And, and there's something to that too. It's like, you know, who knows what, what good is coming from just, you know, passing things on. I just feel like when you have an idea that you're incredibly passionate about and, you know, so maybe like, I feel like I'm coming up with ideas all the time and, you know, some of them you just can't act on. I feel like they pass on, you know, it's like nothing's lost. It's just reinterpreted somewhere else. And, you know, it's just, it's not, you know, if you don't get to everything, you're not a failure. It's like our time here is so brief, you know? Totally. You've read Big Magic by yes, Liz Gilbert. Exactly what I yes. I loved that book. It's so funny. I know so many people who didn't like it and I'm like, I don't know. I just felt like it was, you know, so I thought it was so powerful. I love the idea that your ideas also are not going to wait around for you. So mm-hmm. it's like if you can't get your shit together enough to execute on that idea, then mm-hmm. you have to be okay that it's going to like pick itself up and go to the next person who's going to make it happen. And I think that, you know, what I like about that idea so much is that like maybe you're someone who has a lot of ideas and then, you know, it's kind of like a relief to be like, okay, well, this is the thing that I'm most excited about. I'm going to take this on. These other things, like they're going to go somewhere else, you know, some, you know they're going to be reinterpreted, who knows where, you know, by someone else. That's fine. And I, I just in general think like, you know, as, as passionate people, if you're, you know, excited about life and what you're doing, like we need, we need, you know, we don't, we can't do everything. I mean, I, I think I kept saying that, but like, you can't, you know, we can't <laughs> we need women everything. to understand gotta, it. <laughs> yeah. But you got to do the things that, you know, that bring you joy. I, I, I was actually not, not, I don't, it wasn't Liz Gilbert who said it, but I followed this, um, this, uh, woman on Instagram and she wrote an an incredible book called joyful and her, her name's Ingrid Lee and, um, her Instagram is aesthetics of joy. And a couple of weeks ago when I really needed it, I saw a post she said, and she said, what if our only metric for success was joy? Ooh. And it just hit me. And I was like, at a time where there was, you know, I was feeling really bogged down with everything. And it was like, okay, how do you, you know, how do you kind of unpack things to bring out the joy? So, yeah. Well, I'm definitely going to add that to my book list Mm -hmm. for certain. Yeah. (laughs) I know we've talked about ideas 
and mm-hmm. you've had a lot of them. And one thing that I would love to learn a little bit more before we wrap up today is all the ideas you've had about doing business differently. Mm-hmm. I think what what really impressed me as I started digging into your brand, and I originally heard about Captain Blankenship or, or learned about it when I was clicking around on the B Corp website. Mm-hmm. You are really doing things differently. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think it's something so important and something that people often don't see. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's interesting. And I think like the integrity of the ingredients was there from the beginning. You know, it's like, I couldn't, I never even considered doing it any other way. Um, and actually most of our products in the Captain Blankenship line are made a hundred percent with certified organic ingredients. And it wasn't even like, it wasn't a question, you know? And I think often if you're, you know, a big company, it's like, okay, how are we going to like put in these fillers, <laughs> you know? So like the number one ingredient on the ingredient list is organic aloe. But then as you like go down the ingredient list, you're like, what the hell is this stuff? Um, <laughs> but that wasn't even like, it's just not even something I would entertain. You know, it's like, I can't, it just doesn't make sense to me. So and if the integrity of ingredients, the sustainability of the packaging and our practices has always been there, you know, and, and I, we've always wanted to become a B Corp. It's a lot of work to become a B Corp as it should be, you know, it's like, can you talk a little bit about just at a high level for those who don't know what a B Corp is, like sure. what it is and kind of, and then I would love for you to dig into that process a little. Sure. So it's it's a public benefit corporation and companies like Patagonia, Badger, you know, there's now kind of we're leaders in that kind of pioneering movement, but now it's an, an incredibly wide community. And the whole idea behind it is, you know, providing, you know, a transparency about your business practices, where the money goes. And, you know, part of being a B Corp is you, you know, need to be giving back uh, to the planet um, in some ways through, you know, kind of environmental justice, social responsibility. Um, it's all going hand in hand. And I think kind of being leaders um, in the world of sustainable business. And what I love about the B Corp community is, you know, you have your, your Patagonia, your seventh generation, you have like, the big companies, but then also it's kind of open to everyone and they have a mentorship program, you know, like everyone is available. I think because people are so passionate about what they're doing, um, obviously, you know, running a business, you know, you're trying to stay afloat, but kind of the integrity of your practices is is so important and that there is, you know, it, it kind of, you belong to this community and, and people are helping each other out. And, you know, everyone, everyone wants to help each other, you know, only get better in their practices. So, um, and I think for us, you know, the transparency with the business was, you know, there it was never not that. Um, so it was always something that made sense to us to be a part of, but, you, you know, there's a very lengthy application process as there should be because the business practices are the most important thing. And you want to, you know, you want to make sure that you're doing everything you can. Um, so I think a lot of, I mean, a lot of companies that I know in the green beauty community are in the process of becoming a B Corp. I think it's, you know, something everyone is looking at, but you know, it's just, it's just taking the time and energy and, you know, kind of taking, you know, holistically looking at your company 
and seeing, you know, where there are gaps, things that you could be doing better. I mean, it's like, a, it's, it's taking like a 360 degree view, um, which is really amazing, especially when you're like in the day to day of running a business and you don't kind of get to pull yourself back. So for us last year, it was like a really exciting experience. And I had one employee in particular whose passion is sustainability and regenerative business. And she really spearheaded, you know, kind of getting through that application process um, and working on the, you know, you have to write kind of your company policy. And so it was a really amazing experience. Um, and I guess for us, like we've always, we're 1% for the planet um, for many years. 1% of all of our um, profits have gone back to uh, nonprofits uh, related to the environment uh, so, you know, it's exciting. We're just excited to keep kind of dialing in more as we move forward. Um, and one of the things we're really trying to work on is sourcing our ingredients directly from farmers. And we started last year working with a women's cooperative in Uganda to source all of our fair trade organic shea butter. Um, and so I think, you know, we're just, that's like, that's a process we're working on that we're really excited about. Amazing. So I'm hearing that you're sourcing things from the farm. I'm hearing mm -hmm. that you're donating 1% of your, your profits. Mm -hmm. I'm hearing that you're using certified organic ingredients. Mm -hmm. I'm hearing that you're focused on the sustainability of all your packaging. Mm -hmm. Which I think is something that, uh, you know, I, I guess talking to the packaging piece, I think is something that a lot of people overlook and they just put their products in virgin plastic. That's then, you know, just like it's making things worse. And, uh, and I think what's really exciting about right now is that sustainable packaging in the next like five to 10 years, there are going to be so many more options. Finally, finally, <laughs> the big, the big companies cannot help, you know, they can't, you know, they have to see it now. They can't just, you know, turn their back to it. And so, um, you know, we, we launched, uh, liquid soaps and shampoo and conditioner, um, two years ago. And until then, all of our packaging was in recycled glass, um, and compostable tubes. But of course, when you're putting something in the shower, you know, it's like, you don't want it composting yeah. too quickly. And also you don't want someone breaking a glass, you know, in the slippery shower, breaking something and stepping on glass. So it was like a whole set of concerns around that. And so we ended up, you know, I never put things in virgin plastic. Like that's not, you know, it's just not what we do. Um, so we spent a long time kind of looking into all the options and we decided that we were going to use 100% recycled, harvested, ocean-bound plastic. So it's ocean, it's plastic that's on its way into the ocean, that's reclaimed, that's then turned into a resin, that's made into a bottle. And so Whoa. at the time, yeah. How do you time, even find that? That oh sounds like trying to find well, a needle in a haystack. Totally. And that is like, when I am posed with a challenge like that, it's like, it's like, I'm not, you know, I don't give up. And also it would have meant like, I'm just not going to do this until I find the right option. But, you know, after a lot of research, we ended up finding out about this company Envision Plastics who um, works with several different countries to pay people a living wage to reclaim the plastic that's bound for the ocean to then turn it into a resin. And at the time, 
the only company um, that was using it that we knew of was Method, and they were only using it for one product um, that they were kind of marketing as like a you know amazing ocean bound plastic. And so it was expensive. You know, it's not just like putting product in just any plastic bottle. It was like, and it it had to be custom made for us. And, you know, it was a whole undertaking, but I couldn't, I just couldn't do it any other way, you know? And now Herbal Essences is using ocean bound plastic. All, you know, the companies, the larger companies are starting to listen and it's much more widely available. Um, So that's kind of exciting because I think in a lot of, instances these smaller companies who you know kind of integrity of ingredients and packaging is so important for them they're kind of leading the way and now the you know the larger companies kind of can't help but join on the bandwagon so that is amazing i imagine it makes some of the challenges that you face at work so much more tangled in some days though and it has to be expensive yeah yeah. And also I'm just like, it, yeah, it's expensive. And I feel like I'm incredibly, I'm a Taurus. My birthday's tomorrow. I'm incredibly stubborn. <laughs> I am so stubborn. <laughs> I'm so stubborn. Um, so I think that, you know, it does make things tangled. It does make things, it might take, I mean, it doesn't, doesn't usually bode well for deadlines, you know, but at, in the end, it's like, you know, what, I just can't do it any other way and in a good, in good conscience. So, you know, you have to, you have to go with what you believe in. And I also think that, you know, if anything, who knows, you know, what's going to happen. Life is very unpredictable. You know, who knows what this path is going to bring, but if any good came from it, if that large company now switched over to ocean down plastic in any way, because they read, you know, they saw us doing it amazing you know good good you know there's good coming out of it all you know it might not happen in the way that you think it's going to happen but you know and you never know there was probably someone sitting at those larger brands just daydreaming about i wish we could do something better i wish we could do something better and then it gets hampered through all the bureaucracy sometimes of a larger organization and you're like a little um speedboat kind of navigating the way. (laughs) Well, I feel lucky in that way that since, you know, we're a small women run company, like we're incredibly supportive of each other. We're all so passionate about the mission and values of our company that we're all, we're all in that speedboat together and no one's like trying to drop the anchor, you know, (laughs) (laughs) which at a larger company, you know, it's always the person up top of like, you know, kind of crushing your dreams because it's a whole different type of operation. But it just takes that person, you know, you just never know how that, that person daydreaming in the office, like if they're going to get to do it, you know, then it's worth it. Amazing. I am so excited to to get to have this conversation and learn from you. You are doing some really impactful things in the world of beauty and green business and responsible business. Like it's it's really awesome to see. Like you you are certainly becoming a role model to me. Oh, thank you. But before I totally let you get away today and and probably start heading into some pre-birthday festivities. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do you most want La Vital Course Lawn listeners to know or to take away from our conversation? I know we've zoomed all over, but mm-hmm. what's most important for what's most important from your perspective? 
You know, I, I think in some ways, I mean, we've talked so much about intuition and so, and giving yourself the space, the time, you know, the place, whatever it is for you to listen to your intuition. And I think that's so important and not letting, you know, not, not giving into other people's expectations, not letting anyone take away your magic and like the truth that you believe in, you know, and, and also believing that you can do anything. If there's things that you're passionate about, you make the space and room and you make them happen, you know, because it is all possible. One little story that I didn't tell that I think um, I often come back to is that uh, when I was a little kid, I had, I was obsessed with my rock collection. I was collecting (laughs) rocks from all over and I just like, I was so into them. I had a rock tumbler. I was always collecting rocks and it comes from my mom because whenever you go on vacation somewhere with my mom, she comes back with a suitcase full of rocks. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I always, I was obsessed with rock collections. I always like, you know, there was a part of me, that little adventurer who was like, you know, I want to find crystals. I want to find gemstones. And then, you know, whatever time goes by. I was, I'm always the person who's on the beach collecting shells, but we ended up moving to the Hudson Valley and unbeknownst to me, you know, felt love it here, love hiking in the mountains here. Who knew? I didn't know. Crystal veins run through these mountains. They're really? Veins. Yeah, they're crystal veins that run through the mountains. They're incredibly sacred mountains. And now, you know, my one, in addition to hiking, one of the things that brings me joy, and that is like the practice that I get, that I love to do, I find crystals. We have a 400 pound crystal. What? In our yard that comes from these mountains and New York State, I mean, Her- Herkimer, um, our Ulster County is incredibly rich in, um, in quartz crystals. And so it's like, don't let, you know, that intuition, that passion that I had as a child now is back in my life in a big way. I'm like, in a 400 pound way. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, there's there's crystals all over my house. Like, you never have to ask me twice to go crystal hunting. Um, but it's crazy how these things, you know, if you trust your intuition and like, we ended up in this area and I didn't even know that. And I once lived on, we lived in Accord on one side of the mountain. Now we moved to the other side of the mountain. But like, there was something in me that was like, I can't go far from these mountains. And now, you know, it's just, it's it's incredible how things happen, you know? And I think you really have to have to trust yourself. Oh, amazing, Yana. Yeah. Like, you are the best. Thank oh, you so thank much you. for I, being here. Oh, so much fun. And this is, I'm so excited. This is my first podcast. I'm just thrilled. You did wonderful. <laughs> well, thank you so much. You're welcome. And thank you. everyone it's Kara again don't scoot quite yet wasn't Yana an amazing guest I wanted to remind you that any of the links that we talked about plus all the links for Yana herself can be found on the blog post at levitalcoresalon.com l-e vital c-o-r-p-s salon.com I also want to remind you that Yana's book wild beauty is out later in July 2019 It's a book about clean beauty and natural self-care recipes that you can make at home. How awesome is that? It's available for pre-order right now on Amazon and other booksellers online. So do check it out. Also, I want to thank you for listening. 
And thank you to those of you that are sharing with other women in your life. That's how this podcast has been organically growing. And I so appreciate all of your help. I also appreciate the help of my team, which is producer Craig Snyder, virtual assistant Darlene Victoria, Rishi Deer of Elephant Stone, and the High Dials for performing the theme song. And I also want to thank the women at Pistol PR for helping me connect to Yana. Sometimes the actual connecting with the guests can take weeks and months, and the women at Pistol PR really helped speed up that process and make this show a reality. So thank you to all of you. And don't forget, you deserve a life spiked with passion and slathered with joy. Don't let bullshit or burnout stop you.